Hello, and welcome to Prophecy Girls, a Buffy rewatch podcast. I'm Kara Babcock, pronouns she, her. And I'm Stephanie Chow, pronouns she, her. Join us each week as we break down every episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer from the beginning. This is a spoiler-free podcast. Whether you're watching for the first time or longtime fans like us, we'll be analyzing every episode, character, and storyline like it's our first time, too. During this rewatch, we'll reminisce about our memories of Buffy, discuss the show's cultural impact, and provide honest commentary on the show from a 21st century lens. Thanks for listening. Now, on to the episode. Season 4, Episode 11, Doomed. Doomed, Steph. Doomed for all time. <laughs> what? That was, uh, that was from Muppet Christmas Carol. Oh, I didn't know you liked the Muppets. Uh, excuse me? Excuse me? Muppet Christmas Carol is the one true fi- Christmas Carol. Fight me. Learn something new every day. Uh, okay. Okay. I need to bring up something right now before we get into this episode. And it's that, uh, as you know, Kara, and as our listeners know, we did I Will Remember You by Angel a couple weeks ago, but it came out last week. So I've been riding that train all week on our social media. Maybe I've been a little bit obnoxious about it. That's not for me to say. (laughs) But what I will say is people have been reaching out to the podcast to say that listening to our episode has made them want to watch Angel. Uh, apparently, a lot of them have not watched it. They they listened to our episode on an episode they've never watched, went to go watch the episode, and now they want to watch the series. Wow, that's like a big compliment. I know. Like, honestly, I was like, my work here is done. Like, I can hang up my microphone because like, that literally brings me so much joy. All our energy that we put into that episode and all my tears, <laughs> um, it makes people more interested in Angel as a character and in watching his series. So that's exciting. Mm-hmm. Good for us. And then, of course, we had Hush, which will come out next week. I mean, as of right now, you know, listeners, you will have heard it already. But to us, it comes out next week. And I'm excited for you to hear that. But more importantly, how do you follow up Hush? How do you follow up a success like that episode. Well, you certainly don't do it with this episode. (laughs) So harsh. I didn't mind this episode. You won't catch me defending it as a particularly amazing episode. But in our Discord, after, you know, as we were talking about like Hush and stuff, I made a comment. I'm like, oh, wow, like we're heading into a bumper crop of good episodes. And somebody was like, even doomed? And I'm like, I don't know. I'll see when we get there. And sure enough, I watched it. And I'm like, you know what? I do enjoy this episode. It does nothing to advance the overall arc of the season other than maybe, you know, Buffy and Riley and secrets. But the overall arc of this season, let's get real, is boring. Mm. Um, I don't care about this season arc. But Hush was such a really good episode, as was Something Blue. and, And... I, doomed is nowhere near the caliber of either of those two episodes but it has some charm to it you know there are some things about this that i appreciate it feels in some ways like an old school buffy episode but far better quality and maybe that's why i liked it so much maybe it's the fact that it has some of those cheesier elements from the early episodes but because the production staff and the actors are so much more comfortable, it 
works better, right? And so it's kind of like, this is what season one could have been if they'd practiced the show for three years. (laughs) That's a good way of putting that. Yeah, I mean, I would give this episode props for character development and character um, highlights, right? There's a lot of funny moments, a lot of good moments for each character. Uh, But overall, I would describe this episode as yawn because (laughs) I just I just don't I don't think it hits any mark that it was trying to hit. Um, And is it just me or is like half the episode dubbed? Like, did they have sound issues and then they go in, especially for like for Giles and his scenes? It just sounds like they voiced over everything. Voice does sound off, especially near the beginning of the episode. I noticed that, too. I thought it was something to do with his voice itself. You know, um, yeah, his voice sounded a little off. No, he definitely went back in there and redubbed it for sure. Like sound Mm, like did the audio over. I'm not sure if any other character did that, but. They did for sure in the later fight scene. Like, like so the audio was off for me, number one. Number two, the lighting was like cranked to 20 million because everybody is so beautifully lit in this episode. So it felt like they were on a studio, um, which, you know, it's not a bad thing, but it does kind of take me out of my escapism when I'm like, oh, look at look at Sarah Michelle Geller's makeup. It's so beautiful and crisp today. <laughs> and then and then also, I just didn't think this episode flowed very well. Right, they like we'll get there. We'll we'll get there. But like the dialogue was a little bit off for me. It felt clunky. Just not a good follow up to what we just watched the last couple weeks. So let's let's get into the episode, okay? So we start right where we left off. We start in Buffy's dorm room. Buffy and Riley, for all you Ruffy fans out there, <laughs> this is a very Ruffy episode uh which is another reason why it's so boring um (laughs) they're sitting in her room and they're still not talking the end of the last episode not sure what to say and here we are we it's like silent we hear dogs barking in the background buffy finally says somebody should speak before one of us graduates riley gets up and he says what are you and buffy's like capricorn on the cusp of aquarius you (laughs) is that accurate for buffy's birthday I don't, we don't know when Buffy's birthday is. I mean, sometimes it's October, sometimes it's January. Somebody who knows astrology, tell us if this is if this makes sense for Buffy. Yes. Um, and so Riley apologizes for being blunt. And he says she's amazing, her speed and her strength. She says, who are you? To Riley. And Riley's like, you know who I am, but the rest, what I do, I can't tell you. Man of mystery. And Buffy's like, let me. You're part of some military monster squad who captures demons, vampires, probably has some official sounding euphemisms for them, like unfriendlies or non-sapiens. <laughs> Actually, unfriendlies is a great word for, they should be using that. Um, but Riley says it's hostile subterrestrials. That's what they call them. And Buffy says, you deliver the HSTs to a bunch of lab coats who perform experiments on them, which among uh, among other things, turns some into harmless little bunnies. How am I doing so far? And Riley's like, a little too well. <laughs> That's because you suck at being subtle, Riley. Riley, we learn in this episode specifically that you are terrible at keeping your secret, just like Buffy. It, it, it's a miracle that they didn't find out Riley was a soldier before this episode, before the previous episode. Right? Like in the freshman, like right away, like, oh, <laughs> you're, you're an army boy. Buffy says that 
by day, you pretend to be Riley Finn, corn-fed Iowa boy. <laughs> Ever been to Iowa, Riley, if that's even your name? And Riley's like, it is, born and raised. And Bulletin, I'm not the only one who's been less than honest here. And I was like, touche, touche, Riley. Uh, and by the way, there's so many Buffy and Riley argument scenes in this episode, and none of them are particularly interesting to me, but this is probably the best one. I agree. <laughs> Buffy says, I would have thought you'd figured it out by now. I'm the Slayer. Riley gives his best himbo face. He, he's like, what? I don't know what that is. And Buffy says, Slayer? She who hangs out a lot in cemeteries? Then she's like, ask around, you know, look it up. Slayer, comma, the. And Riley says, you fight demons. And you wailed on those guys. And I'm, I'm a walking bruise today. See me with my clothes off? <laughs> he's like, I have bruises. I don't see a scratch on you. And Buffy's like, you're not looking hard enough. And I was like, oh, look at this metaphor, yeah. right? It's like, well, first off, of course, R Riley's not going to look hard enough, right? Like, <laughs> that's, <laughs> you're, that's a losing battle right off the bat, Buffy. <laughs> but yeah, I think Buffy makes a, an important point. Slayers heal fast, but do all of their wounds really heal? What about their emotional scars, which you can't see, but you can feel? <laughs> so Riley says, I'm looking pretty hard. And then they're like, what do we do? And Buffy's like, I don't know. I just thought that you were a nice, normal guy. And he's like, I am. And she's like, maybe by this town's standards. Uh, but she, basically what they want to do is they both want to take some time to process everything. And they're going to keep each other's secrets for now. And suddenly, Amy the Rat starts freaking out because there's an earthquake. Ooh. So Riley pulls Buffy into like the doorway where they stand. Um, I've never been part of an earthquake so I don't know the rules. Nor have I. Yeah, like we don't we get them We are fortunate enough growing up in Thunder Bay, you know, we occasionally get tornado warnings around here, but we are located on what's called the Canadian Shield, which is one of the most stable uh, geological parts of this continent. It's just like solid bedrock uh, in the middle of the continental plate. So... Uh, it would be very, very difficult to get an earthquake going here. And uh, yeah, so I, I've, I've never, ever felt a tremor. I've never experienced any kind of earthquake. So anytime I see it in, in a show like this, I'm just like, oh, okay. I hope I remember. That must be weird. Yeah, yeah. I just, I, I hope I remember too. We go into a doorway. I don't know. Apparently you're supposed to like stand in a bathtub or something. Like, I don't know. There's rules. I wouldn't know them. I think I would die in an earthquake. Um, so... It only lasts a couple seconds, but Riley is like, that's some ride. Like, he's super excited. He's more excited about this earthquake than he was about Rugs Field or, or whatever that field was from Buffy to on their date. Um, but Buffy's freaked out. And Riley's like, hey, I'm sorry. I'm excited. This is my first earthquake. And Buffy says, it's not mine. Ooh, cut to credits. And um, you might have noticed, Kara, I did, that Riley, a.k.a. Mark Blucas is in the credits now. <laughs> He's around to stay, I guess. I guess, unless, you know, they decide to kill him off in this episode as a surprise. <laughs> Psych. So we're in Xander's basement, and Spike is freaking out because the earthquake knocked a couple of the pipes loose, so water is leaking all over his sleeping chair. 
And Xander is like, well, tighten up the pipe with a wrench. And Spike's like, do I look like a plumber to you? And Xander says, you look like a big mooch who doesn't lift a finger around here. And I have to get to work. And Spike says, delivering melted cheese on bread, doing your part to keep America constipated. And okay, so here we go. So Xander has a new job, right? Job number five or six or seven, whatever it is. Cheese bread delivery, man. (laughs) Exactly. It sounds delicious. I mean, I don't know why Spike's knocking that because it sounds really good. Um, However... Spike, what are you still doing here? Why are you still here? Why are they entertaining him now? <laughs> well, and he's not tied up at all. He, no, he's he... just given the run of Xander's place. He literally is Xander's roommate at the moment. Yes, it's so weird. Like they like it's this is too far now. Like he should be out on his own for sure. Xander tells him to earn his keep or he doesn't get kept. And like honestly, fair, Xander. Uh he hands Spike a wrench and he's like turning and he's saying with his back to Spike that when you're done fixing the leak, try cleaning this up this mess. And doing a little laundry for once wouldn't kill you. And Spike attempts to kill Xander by bashing in his head with this wrench, but of course the chip activates and he gets a headache and he he doesn't do it. And Xander notices this and he just says like unfortunately Unfortunately, this wouldn't kill you and then leaves, right? How do vampires do their laundry? We never see them do their laundry. They usually live in crypts or like old factories and stuff. Like, are they going to the laundromat to get their laundry done? What do you Great think? Question. Maybe they have a service to drop it back <laughs> off of the crypt. Some lucky demon out there is just <laughs> making a living off of the vampires that can't go out in the day. <laughs> <laughs> laundry demon. Yeah, I love it. Um, Willow uh, is coming up to their dorm room and she said she was in the library during the earthquake and she says that Porter dorm is having an aftershock party because this is the party dorm and this checks out because when I went to university there is always that one dorm that's like the party the party floor and or the party dorm. how often did you avail yourself of these parties Stephanie N- Chow? Never. I was studious. <laughs> and beer bad way to lead into the stereotype (laughs) they're there for a reason cara (laughs) um so (laughs) she asks if riley's gonna go to the party and buffy's like no no riley's busy um but you go ahead i'll catch up with you i have to have a one-on-one with giles and willow is like there's something wrong and buffy's like no and she leaves lies because she's telling giles at Giles's house that something is horrible something horrible is going to happen and she's pacing around with anxiety and this is the scene where like just just go back and listen everybody like Giles's voice is so fake it's so yeah, not his voice too. right now it's so weird and Giles is saying um you know it was an earthquake not a common occurrence not an uncommon occurrence in southern california and buffy who's well, again, like her hair and makeup looks amazing in this ep- in the scene particularly, but in this episode overall, she looks really good. Uh, Buffy reminds him that the last time there was an earthquake, she died. So do you remember this, Kara? Do you remember the last time there was an earthquake? I have a vague recollection of Buffy dying before. I think Buffy's getting a little anxious about that for some reason. So, um, well, You can tell in this scene, the pendulum has swung back to, 
we're just going to ignore Buffy's concerns when she brings them up as if she hasn't been right and prophetic about things in the past. Like multiple times. Every time Giles is like, no big deal. And then turns out it's the biggest deal in it's the world. It's all in your head. God. Hashtag believe women, Giles. Come <laughs> Giles, on. when are you going to learn? So Giles says he understands her anxiety. Does he though? And Buffy says, well, I'd hate for my untimely, horrible death concern to be ambiguous. And again like the writing just seems off like it just doesn't seem like that's something that Bobby would say it's a little bit too wordy in my opinion um giles says unless evidence suggests otherwise i think we can assume it's shifting land masses and not some portent of doom and like you said earlier car this episode kind of brings you right back to the high school days and i think this is a big reason why right like we got an earthquake last mm-hmm. time we got an earthquake was in first season Buffy getting anxious about it. Like, it, it all comes screaming back, doesn't it? Uh, Giles turns to a map. He's been putting a little map together of the initiative, where he thinks their commando friends are going to be. Buffy doesn't want to talk about the commandos because she knows the secret. So she plays dumb and she tries to change the subject. She's like, um, back to the earthquake. Like, say it, it could have been a bad omen. Like, there's, there's going to be a lot of red faces when the world comes to an end. And Giles says, like, Buffy, like, if there is some sort of catastrophe coming up, like, I'm sure there'll be other signs that we can follow. And it's almost like... It's almost like he got it to Joyce's supply. Like, he yeah. is so chill right now. He is so mellow. He's just like... He's so high. Fine, buff. Like, just Chill relax. out. Chill Look out. Look at this cool map I made. See all the red pins? They're pinny. <laughs> right? They're so colorful. But this is the thing, Giles, because, like, you're acting like the Zeppo did not happen. Because he's like, oh, we'll have, like, a lot of time before... Well, before we have to worry about apocalypse, um, Giles in the Zeppo, you only had like that one day to work shit out. Um, he's acting like every situation is going to be like the mayor where they are given a hundred days <laughs> to figure out their shit. So yeah, he's he's he certainly must be high because he's so laid back right now. What he basically says to to Buffy is that vigilance is all well and good, but I feel like we're getting close to the commando situation, and that's. There is a much more pressing question right now. And that's when we cut to Riley, who's with Forrest, and he's asking Forrest what the Slayer is. And Forrest is saying that he's heard of them. It's it's like some kind of boogeyman to the subterrestrial. Something they tell their little spawn to keep them eating their vegetables and cleaning up their slime pits. And I'm surprised that, like, I, like obviously it's good that Forrest has heard about the Slayer, but I'm surprised they don't know more about it. I agreed. I think the initiative's intelligence gathering arm is incredibly poor. Uh, They're really bad at their jobs. Because even if you think the Slayer is some kind of myth, Buffy was not previously at the university campus, right? So her arrival at the beginning of this school year should have heralded some kind of uh, noticeable uptick in the number of hostile subterrestrial deaths or whatever, right? Like, Whoever's in charge of gathering data about the hostile activities on campus is missing this this huge uh, change in that data because they should be able to tell that something different is happening on campus through the change in attrition rates alone. They may not know that it's the Slayer, but there should be somebody ringing an alarm bell in Maggie Walsh's office being like, something else is hunting down and killing a lot of our HSTs before we can find them and get to them. And it's like, yeah, like they should be on it. 
the initiative sucks. They're not being proactive at all. They're being reactive. And we see it in the scene where Riley's like, so I maybe, maybe know something about the Slayer. It's like, come on, you're three steps behind at this point. I would argue that the initiative are so arrogant that they truly believe that they're the reasons there has been less deaths on campus this year. <laughs> I can see that. Like, I, I agree with you that I think they're pretty arrogant, but I'm saying like, an institution so grounded in science and the scientific method should be collecting their data better and have better data analysts. And, you know, for, for somebody like Maggie Walsh to be in charge of this, she seems like she's, you know, pretty into the details. Mm-hmm. They've let a huge detail slip by. Yeah, it's sloppy work over here. They're passing um, another army guy escorting this demon and a scientist and Riley says, how do you explain the stuff that we deal with, Forrest? Because what Forrest is saying is that uh, monsters use the Slayer as a myth, as like um, the Easter Bunny, right? As, as like a, a boogeyman, a folk- folklore yes, thing. Yes, equally terrifying as the Easter Bunny. Yes, exactly. So um, Forrest says that they're just animals, right? They're just plain and simple. They're rarer than the ones that he's used to in Smallville. And this is not the first time or the last time that I'm sure Forrest will compare Riley to Superman. He is so not Superman. Um, Suddenly, the demon breaks free of the one army guy (laughs) escorting him, because of course, and knocks him over. So Riley and Forrest run to help. Riley gets punched in the face and Forrest starts to get choked by this demon. And he's yelling like, where's the hypo? Like this funny daddy scientist is like, no. The show really doesn't portray the actual scientists in a good light at all. No, the the army good, the scientists nerdy and incompetent. It was the same back in the initiative when Spike staged his escape, right? The scientists like hypoed each other. (laughs) There's some sort of commentary here on how Joss Whedon views army men versus scientists. Uh, So... But it's but it's, it comes out in, in Riley's attitude because once Riley takes out the demon, he says, "Never mind," like to the scientist. So uh, I guess he's the real man here, and Riley's wondering what's getting all of the demons worked up because apparently they're rattling around in their cages all day. And Forrest says, "Earthquakes, man, make everybody crazy." So we cut to the rager at Porter House and it's packed and Willow is standing by herself and I was like Willow oh I've got so many things to say about Willow in this scene because like she looks really sad and out of place and uncomfortable Willow why haven't you guys made more friends in your residence like you could easily I know you're waiting for Buffy but you could hang out with other people in the meantime so I don't know why none of her res friends who were so eager to party with her in fear itself aren't with her at this party Number one, they need more friends. Number two, Willow, you're not going to be comfortable at a party if you're wearing a winter coat inside. Because <laughs> she certainly is. And then number three, uh, Willow, you've proven that half a beer gets you giddy enough to dance with a bunch of strangers at the bronze to Blink-182. So what you need to do is get yourself a drink and then go make some friends. Don't just stand there looking sad. <laughs> So Willow sees Percy. Percy the jock. Remember Percy? I do remember Percy. I was very surprised to see him. High school all over again. We're just, we're, we're shooting right back to season three. Percy is not the character I would ever want to call back to. Like, wouldn't this have been a great opportunity for Larry, had he not died, <laughs> to be at this party? R.I.P. Larry. Right? So 
Willow approaches him and he's like, hey, Rosenberg, what's going on? Because he's a jock. And Willow's like, oh, I thought you were at a football scholarship to use SC. And he's like, yeah, but Lori goes here. And Lori's a fucking bitch because Lori does not want to talk to Willow at all. And Percy is starting to ask Willow about Oz and Willow's starting to reply. But the girl just stands up, whispers in his ear. And he's like, we're going to go get some drinks. Uh, see, Cool to see you. And then the girl's like, bye. And they leave. And Willow's sad and alone again. And then a bunch of drunk people go into this room where this green demon claw stops the door from closing. So I don't know. I guess a demon is breaking into this party. And a naked guy <laughs> is mixing drinks in his room. And he's shouting to his, some people, hey, are you serious about naked limbo? I'm in. And um, I was like, naked limbo? I've never heard of such a thing. Like, strip limbo perhaps strip strip i've never heard of that either but like that makes more sense than naked limbo <laughs> i mean i don't want to know um <laughs> neither none of these things you've mentioned is enticing to me at all right um but what i'm noticing when he's mixing these drinks is you know he's topless he's like rubbing the the cups up against his bare chest as he tries to carry them out of the room um this party is not following like the proper health department codes for serving drinks at a function. I'm just saying. Well, I would also say that the uh, you know earthquake or not, there no there's no way the entire dorm would be allowed to party like this, right? Like you can like a one room like we saw in the in um, living conditions with Willow's roommate, right? One room there could be a big party going on, but to be open to the entire floor, unheard of. Because someone, the RA would have to come shut it down because <laughs> those kids are all underage, you know? So nobody noticed the green demon in their midst? <laughs> They're too wasted. <laughs> so, yeah, well, then a green demon just, like, slits this guy's throat. <laughs> this is terrible. This is this is the worst. So Willow is wondering where Buffy is at this party, and she overhears Percy talking to this bitch, Lori. She's saying that, oh, I can just watch you flirt with that redhead. And Percy's like, Rosenberg? You're right. She's just an egghead who tutored me a little in high school. Also, egghead is such a weird phrase. <laughs> like, is he an old man? <laughs> um, he says that she's nice, but come on, captain of the nerd squad. And Lori's like, well, maybe you have a thing for geeks. And Percy's like, uh, no, I like my women hot. Call me old fashioned. And then they start making out. So Willow hears that and gets upset, obviously. And she briefly passes Graham on her way out of this room. Yeah, I, I see what you mean about the dialogue in this episode being clunky. That was a very strange exchange to me. You know, what an egghead. <laughs> I'm not an expert on flirting by any means. I am often very concerned that sometimes my conversation with people comes off as flirting because I don't know what flirting looks like. But would I be correct in saying, like, Willow and Percy were not flirting in that initial exchange, right? No, they were saying hello. Hi, how are you? Good. So, like, Where's Oz? Like, <laughs> Lori seems very insecure. It's like, they were just saying hello. If you think every time a guy says hello to another girl who's not you, you're going to have a lot of issues. Yeah, I agree. Lori needs to work on her self-esteem and also how to not be such a bitch. What I want to say is something that we haven't actually talked about in depth for a very long time, possibly since Halloween season two. But... Allison Hannigan, who plays Willow, is hot. She is a beautiful woman that has all of your conventional beauty standards in our society, right? 
she's tall, thin, white. I think her eyes are blue. And she's she's like good looking. Her eyes are blue, are they? I don't know. Are they blue, green? I don't know what they are. But this show needs her to be the mousy nerd, the, the captain of the geek squad. Like, I get it. But she's so not. But the show treats her like she is. And it's unbelievable to me sometimes because the fact that Percy's saying she's a nerd and like maybe this actually gives Lori a little bit of leverage in her argument that he's flirting with her because maybe she sees that Willow is actually very attractive. But I just find it so funny when this show is just like, oh, Willow, because she wears a coat to the party, no one thinks she's hot. (laughs) Well, it's also like the show is bringing up this idea that Willow feels like now that she's lost Oz, she's not attractive to anybody. You know, she is just completely adrift. And because she was in that relationship with Oz since high school, he had expressed interest with in her the way that nobody else has. She's, her self-esteem is really suffering right now, right? So I, I think Willow needs to kind of like reimagine herself. She needs to have a different vision of who she is before she's going to be at a point where she can like recognize that like hey maybe i am ready to date somebody else again i think it's good that she's like getting out and going to parties and stuff but it's really clear she's not like over oz by any stretch of the imagination i agree and i have a lot more to say about willow's insecurities later but i just i'm like willow is so much hotter than Lori. Lori knows it she felt intimidated and that's why she became a bitch but um it's just funny that the men on the show are like, just don't, they, they cannot see her for the attractive person that she is. So Willow wanders into a dark room and lays down on the bed. <laughs> um, and she thinks that's okay because, you know, breaking and entering, it's no big deal at a party like this. The power goes back on and she's lying next to the dead body of the guy that got cut earlier in this episode (laughs) and he's got a symbol cut onto his chest and this is so scarring and i also want to say that wasn't hush like yesterday (laughs) what did hush happen yesterday (laughs) yes yes you're right because we we opened this episode on the same scene and it looks like it's been like at most i'd say like two days so yeah you're right (laughs) So like this, this is a really bad week for this, this for Sunnydale, you see Sunnydale. Um, Xander is coming into his basement with a pizza box. And he says, this place is worse than I left it. You didn't even fix the drip. And he's looking for Spike and Spike says behind him, we can't see him yet. He says, don't turn around. And Xander's like, what is it? What happened? And Spike's like, don't look at me. And Xander slowly turns around and it just like, boop, and it just like pops to Spike, who is wearing Xander's Hawaiian shirt and like khakis, <laughs> like shorts. And he says that he shrunk his shirt and trousers because he can't so, do laundry. So what do we think of Hawaiian Spike? Uh, pathetic, sad. So not his aesthetic. Like he, he's meant, to, like it, it looks baggy on him, right? It's meant to make him look at a place, like not himself. <laughs> Spike is having an identity crisis, as are most of our characters in this episode. I mean, I think that he, like you said, he looks silly. I'm just trying to imagine like what that aesthetic would be called, right? Like we got normcore, we got goth, we got steampunk, we got all these names for these different like aesthetics. What's the aesthetic of having bleach blonde uh, <laughs> hair with um, like Hawaiian themed shirts and short Trousers that are like short pants on you. Um, 
Florida. <laughs> like, I'm trying to think of something with Florida because of that shirt. Listeners, write in. What do we call this aesthetic? What's the name? So Spike says, I hate this place. Like, you know, get out and get me some decent stuff. And I want more blood. And Xander's like, no, you're not a guest. And Spike says, you want me to tear this place apart? He's very entitled, right? He's like, go get me more blood. You're not a guest, Spike. You're technically a prisoner, but I will say I, I do blame Xander and the Scoobies a little bit. They've been letting Spike get a little too comfy. Right. And the fact that he like is threatening to like trash the place, that is for sure something he could still do and then take off. So kick him out or stake him, please. And Xander says, hate to break it to you, oh, impotent one, but you're not the big bad anymore. You're not even kind of naughty. You're nothing but a waste of space, my space. And as much as I got a big laugh watching Buffy kick your shiny white bum, and as much as I know I could give you a little bum kicking myself right now, you're not even worth it. I'm out of here. And he leaves Spike with these, these thoughts. Harsh. Super harsh. Interesting to me, though, because I was starting to think about Xander <laughs> and the journey we've had with Xander. Oh, don't think about oh, Xander, no. Steph. I, oh, like, no one wants to think about him less than I do. But, like, this little speech of his, I was like, this is harsh. But also, like, it's warranted from Xander because Spike literally let that leak, <laughs> like, like uh, flood his basement. And Spike is is mooching off him. And like you said, he's feeling entitled. and He's, like, demanding things. But, like, that's not your place, Spike. So I was just thinking that, like, it's so interesting how Xander used to be this hateful toward Angel, but for no reason other than that Angel was a demon that Buffy loved. Yeah, he was jealous of Angel. He certainly is not jealous of Spike. Yeah, exactly. And he has, like, legit reasons to not like Spike. And they're, like, that go back way before Spike moved in with him <laughs> a couple weeks ago. Uh, or I guess, like, you know, a week ago because Hush was yesterday or whatever. So... It's just it's just interesting this dynamic between the two. I do enjoy Spike and Xander scenes together. I find oh, it very interesting. It is hilarious. But yeah. I mean, we've said this before. Spike has chemistry with every one of the Scoobies. Like it doesn't matter which person you pair him with. James Marsher is just like he is great in these two-hander scenes. Yeah, yeah, he's really really good. So uh, Buffy arrives to the party late. Obviously, the police are wheeling that body out of here. And uh, Buffy finds Willow. And she's just like, wasn't sure where the party was. But when I saw the flashing lights and the ambulance, I was like, right, of course. Death, carnage. It's a Buffy party. <laughs> so Willow says uh, that she found the dead guy. And um, Willow says that there was so much blood and there was a symbol. And Percy called me a nerd. <laughs> And Buffy's like, Percy called you a nerd? It's so cute. And Willow says, yeah, yeah, but we should report this to Giles, you know, the whole get to the whole demon tracking. So as they go, Buffy's comforting Willow because she saw a dead body. But then she's like, does Percy even go here? <laughs> Priorities. I love it. <laughs> well, right back to high school, right? Like, this is the stuff that we would be talking about. So we cut to Riley and Forrest who are shooting little basketball and the little basketball net in their dorm. And these guys and their boy talk. <laughs> Because Riley's once again asking Forrest about Buffy and what he thinks. And, like, you can tell Forrest is getting annoyed with him talking about Buffy so much. But they still have a conversation I, about I it. I love the line that Forrest delivers here. Because Riley's like, Buffy, isn't she? And then Forrest cuts him off and, and says, yes, Buffy is cool. She's hot. She's all temperature Buffy. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he's just like, I am so tired of confirming what you're saying he's like just go get her already and i agree with you i agree not a fan of forest but 
you know, it's nice to hear the boy talk. It's nice to hear men discussing these things, maybe a little bit more crudely than we'd like at times, but... You know, it's good. Riley is trying to process his feelings. That is a healthy thing to do. Well, for them setting up Forrest's character, like he's, you know, your your boy's boy, you know, like your 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 Chad of the dorm room. Um, he has the most boy talk with Riley than any other character, you know? Like these guys are always talking about Riley's feelings. And I will add to that a lot of comments since we started season four about Forrest that I've been reading on our social media as well as in our Discord, that a lot of people read Forrest as gay or as queer in some way. Somebody who is attracted to Riley. He's attracted to Riley, so he's projecting <sighs> those angry feelings onto him. I don't see it. I don't see it yet. And, mm-hmm. and I'm not here to invalidate anybody's headcanon. Uh, and I, I may change my not my mind as the season goes on because, you know, we haven't seen all of their relationship yet. So, you know, maybe it's there and I'm just not picking up on it. But I'm not seeing it yet. I see I see Forrest as he is meant to be the foil to Riley, where Riley is the all-American masculine guy. Forrest is the overly macho guy who's a little bit too aggressive Um, a little bit immature compared to Riley. I think it's also very unfortunate that in this dynamic, Riley is white and Forrest is black. You know, once again, the show loves to introduce these black characters who are like the only black character in the season, right? We had Kendra and then we had Mr. Trick. Um, I mean, we've had Olivia in this season as well, but only briefly for like two episodes, you know, and so it's unfortunate that Forrest has to play this role of kind of like the best friend who's also there to highlight how Riley is better than him. Yeah, and I agree with you. I also don't read into that. Just, But I think it's interesting that people are reading that subtext just like they did with Faith and her relationship with Buffy as well, right? And actually, Forrest actually represents Faith to Riley. Like if if Riley's Buffy, then Forrest oh, is okay. Faith. I see that, yeah. The darker half. So... Graham comes in. Graham comes in and tells him it's a code blue situation. A civilian at the Porter Hall couldn't confirm if it was an HST, couldn't get close enough without drawing attention to myself. So Riley says, okay, I'm going to go do recon on this. (laughs) And you go tell Professor Walsh. Quick, go get our mom. (laughs) Go tell mom, okay? (laughs) Double check. (laughs) Over and out. So Willow is telling Giles and Xander at Giles's house what happened with Percy. And she's saying it made her feel like she was right back in high school. And Xander says, dumb jock, if it wasn't for you, he still would be. So true. And Willow says the Percy thing isn't really that important. The dead guy on the bed is. Uh, and then she says, you know, the guy was propped up. Um, his blood was drained. So whoever drained him probably took the blood with them. And then she says, I haven't been a nerd for a very long time. Hello, dating a guitarist. <laughs> Or I was, and I was like, oh, I don't know. I hate to break it to you, Willow. You're, you're still a nerd, Willow. <laughs> it's just that nerd. nerds in college are automatically cooler than nerds in high school. Yeah, you're you're so much better now. And here's where I kind of wanted to touch on Willow's insecurity because, like, Willow chose to stay in Sunnydale to be Buffy's sidekick, but also to become a badass Wicca, right? And she joined the Wicca group, and she dresses differently now. And yes, she was dating a guitarist, and she's acting more confident. She's in an environment that makes her feel empowered, which is university. She's more comfortable in her own skin. So she has come a long way since we first met her in season one, but also since season two and three. And um, 
it sucks. It sucks that Percy shit all over her personal development that she feels for herself. That's really sad. And it's actually something that I really relate to because, and I think a lot of people could, is because you want the people who knew you back when you weren't yourself yet, back before you had discovered who you are and maybe came out of your shell, you want them to see you for the person you are now. But, you know, that's the thing about hometowns. That's the thing about high school. Some people are just never going to do that. Because they don't, they're not privy to all of those aspects of your life. So I feel Willow in this situation and I understand her insecurity. Um, it's just really funny when she's like, I'm not a nerd. It's like, oh, but you are. <laughs> and it's awesome, right? And you've embraced the type of nerd that you are. Go Willow is what I'm saying. And also like, you are hot. <laughs> just like, go, go right back to that comment too. <laughs> well, that's how Joss Whedon likes his nerds, right? Oh God, you're right. You're so Right. So Buffy um, is telling them about the symbol um, because Willow drew it out. She, and she shows it to Giles. It's, it's basically an eye with a triangle around it. <laughs> so Buffy says that she's seen it before. And Giles says, it's the end of the world. And they're all like, again? It always makes me think of that great big sea song. It's the end of the world as we know it. <laughs> I think they're Canadian, aren't they? Um Buffy says, I told you, I said end of the world. And you're like, poo-poo, Southern California, poo-poo. She did tell him. You, you, that's a legit I told you so. You heard that I told you so, Buffy. Yeah, and Giles gets like sassy. He's like, oh, I'm very sorry. My contrition completely dwarfs the impending apocalypse. As it should. And Will says, it can't be. We've done this already. And Giles says, it's the end of the world. Everyone dies. It's rather important, really. So, Another clunky line from Giles. It just doesn't, he's not helping. He's just saying, yep, have, apocalypse. Have we ever talked about how the world just seems to want to end in the Buffyverse? Just let right? it. Like, <laughs> just let it know, go. There's so, there, there seems to be so many ways to end the world. It's such a fragile thing. It's like, yeah, maybe if the world wants to end this badly, maybe we should just kind of, I don't know, like, I wouldn't say let it, but just kind of like give it some counseling. You know, maybe we should refer it to a hotline, uh, take it more seriously, give it the attention it de deserves. Like, this is a cry for help. All of these apocalypses, it's just it's a cry for help from our planet. That's all I'm saying. Well, this is why I think our theory that Giles is very high this episode stands because Giles is literally thinking that he's like, just another one. Like, just let it go. Just let it happen. <laughs> I'm ready. I'm comfortable. I've lived my life. I don't have purpose anymore. So just bring well, it on. He's, you know? he's spent the last like half years having incredible sex. So what a way to go. He's lived his life. Um, and now he's taken Joyce's stash and he's just mellowing out until the end. So Willow says, what can they do? And Buffy grabs a crossbow, her go-to weapon, I guess. And she's like, I stop it. <laughs> So we fade in from Willow's drawing of the eye into the eye on the a crypt wall. And Buffy is talking to the crypt wall. And this was weird to me, too. It's just, it's just, it just seems weird. Buffy is saying, I wonder where I've seen this before. Where else? The place I spent most of my waking hours memorizing stuff with the size of mausoleums. Big, freaky cereal boxes of death. <laughs> I like that line. I like it, too. But I'm just like, it, ju it just seems weird out of place it seems out of place for her to be talking to this thing by herself um she hears 
someone opened the door and it's the demon is in there collecting children's bones and Buffy opens the door and shoots the demon with the arrow from the crossbow and then she chucks the crossbow at it. Okay, can we Just... talk for a moment about how Buffy always goes for the crossbow and it's the worst <laughs> weapon. You get one shot and then you don't have time to reload. So you got to like throw it like she did and then you're unarmed. It's like Buffy, you should either just go in unarmed from the beginning or like take a sword or something. Right? Well, I know like... I know she doesn't remember it, but in I will remember you. She was like giving Angel sass for having an an axe um when he went hunting, but Angel was correct. He had the better weapon to use. <laughs> so they fight for a bit. It's actually a pretty good fight. At one point, she like steps on it. <laughs> and then it overpowers him um, and then runs away. And as she gets up, she tries to, she, something like comes up behind her and she tries to punch it. <gasps> but it's Riley. It's corn fed Riley. And Riley says that the demon ran off into the woods and he didn't follow it because he's got no weapons and no backup. And you don't go after a demon that size by yourself. And I was like, okay, Riley. Okay, then. So, so where's your armor? <laughs> Where are your weapons then? If you went I out to the cemetery. I think he saw Buffy going into the crypt. Oh, like okay. from a distance, right? Maybe he was walking by the cemetery because he said he was going to check things out. So maybe he happened to be walking by the cemetery. He saw Buffy in the distance. He's like, wait, that's Buffy. Why is she going to the crypt? Why does she have a crossbow? That's not a good weapon. Um, and then so he, you know, it took him a couple, took him a minute or two to get to that part of the, the cemetery. By the time he got there, she was done her fight. He was acting out of concern for her. He wasn't thinking, right? It's all the hormones. He's like, Buffy, in danger, must protect Buffy. (laughs) Well, I think he's also in this episode kind of testing out her limitations and her boundaries too in terms of her strength. Because when he says, you don't go after a demon that size by yourself, and Buffy says, I do. And he (laughs) says, yeah, well, I'm no slayer. So it's interesting, this little dynamic that's building up here in Riley. He's like trying to like understand, like, what is she? What he asked at the beginning of the episode, but like, what can she do? So he takes out his walkie-talkie and he's like, base one, this is the lilac one. Confirmed sighting of an unidentified sub-T. Mobilized pa- patrol team for debriefing at 0800 hours. And Buffy's like, wow. <laughs> and she's like, what are you doing here? And he said he was looking for her. Who, uh, she who hangs out in cemeteries. And I was like, that's a really great guess, Riley, because there are 12 cemeteries. <laughs> and you just pick the right one. I mean, maybe he's been to them all and this was the last one. <laughs> true god forbid he miss another really boring and drawn out argument between him and buffy so buffy gets freaked and says that they you know i have to go get the demon and riley's like don't sweat it we'll beg it and buffy's like riley i can't and he's like can't talk and she's like can't anything i can't be with you it's a huge black pit of a mistake and i can't go there again and riley's like again you've dated me before (laughs) Yeah, this is not great dialogue. It's just clunky, clunky business. Um, it's really hard for me to care because of the dialogue. Um, it gets worse. Buffy says, I was involved. You don't know what my life is like. And Riley's like, I'm dying to find out. And Buffy's like, dying being the operative word here. There's too much risk. It's just doomed. I can't be doomed again right now. I'm sorry. Doomed. She said it. She said the title. Don't you love when that happens? Well, at this point, maybe I'll point out that the word doomed... Uh, historically, your doom is just your future or your destiny. And it, it started off as a neutral word. It didn't have a negative connotation until more recently in our history. I don't know exactly when it shifted to be more negative, but in the past, somebody saying, oh, here is your doom, 
it wasn't necessarily a bad thing. So I think, you know, we could read this episode and this whole end of the world thing and the prophecy and what happens later on is like, this was all meant to happen this way. Interesting. Okay. History with Kara. So <laughs> Riley says, I don't understand where this is coming from. I know you like me. It's not like we don't have anything in common. And Buffy says that's not enough. And he's like, I'm thrown by this. I'm confused. <laughs> okay. 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 Romantic music starts playing or like hopeful music starts playing. And Riley says, I can feel my skin humming. <laughs> He's like, my hands, my every uh, inch of can, me. If you can feel your skin humming, Riley, you should go to a doctor. Or if every inch of you is humming, Riley, I don't want to know about it. Uh, and also, Riley, Bobby could hear Angel's heartbeat. <laughs> so you think that you're, well, and she can't remember it. Damn it! I'm never going to get over that episode. But Riley saying that his skin is humming is such a stupid line. It's it's right up there with what he said the other day, which was, um, you're going to teach me. <laughs> Oh, why are they writing so poorly for him? So Riley says he's never been so excited about anyone before. And he's not trying to scare her and he's not going to force himself on her. But by God, he's not going to walk away because I think it might not work. He says, I don't know what's happened in your past. Um, and I just want to pause there really quickly because Riley, was it necessary for you to say you're not going to force yourself on her? Like, was that a necessary thing to say in your romantic declaration? Just we didn't thought it was. Oh, God. They always tell on themselves. <sighs> There's already too much Joss we didn't mention in this episode. <laughs> so Buffy says, pain, death, apocalypse. None of it's fun. Do you know what a hellmouth is? Because I went to high school on it for three years and we do not have that much in common. This is a job to you, an adventure. But for me, it's destiny. It's something that I can't change, that I can't escape from. I'm stuck. And when she says adventure, as in like Riley's in this because he's a guy and he fights demons. It's, ooh, it's exciting. I know she's talking about Angel. She's comparing this broadening relationship to what she had with Angel at the beginning. Um, but a part of me was also like, maybe she's referring to Owen <laughs> from Never Kill a Boy on the First Date because uh, he was the one that got really excited by being with Buffy, right? That, ooh, ooh we break into the funeral home, <laughs> you know? So um, part of me thinks maybe she's thinking of that. Riley says that you don't have to be stuck. You know, you're not in high school anymore. You can change things. And Buffy says, Riley, my answer is no. And then she leaves. But she looks upset about leaving. Yeah, I, I think what gets me about this scene, I was really kind of thinking about this as I was watching the episode. I was trying to figure out why does this all feel off to me? And the best way I can describe it is I, I'm kind of putting myself in Riley's shoes. And I'm imagining what would it be like if I'm a big, strong, you know, commando guy and I've spent my whole life believing the world is one way and then I learned there's monsters and they're real and I get to fight them. And then I'm pretending to be a normal college guy and this tiny blonde girl shows up and talks about being the chosen one and having a destiny. It's a hard pill to swallow for Riley. You know, the, the way Buffy is coming off in this scene, obviously we are sympathetic to her because we've spent the past three years with her. But the way she's coming off to somebody like Riley, I don't want to say it's it's unhinged, but it's it sounds very like from, you know, like high school YA. It's like, oh, I'm the chosen one, like, but I also <laughs> have to go to prom. Like, 
you know, for, for those of us who've maybe read a lot of high school YA, like if that were my life, I'd just be like, what? Like, what are you talking about, Buffy? So I, I think it's it's hard because I think this episode wants us to see this as Buffy being so serious and dramatic and somber about the weight of her her role as the Slayer. And I'm having a hard time reading her as being serious because I'm just thinking like, you just sound like you're a character in a book. I agree with you. It is hard to read Buffy in this scene. Um, it actually took me my second watch around to really get into Riley, into Buffy's shoes because you're saying we're in Riley's shoes and I can see where Riley is saying he's very excited about the prospect of dating Buffy, especially now that he knows that she's just like this like superhero because who wouldn't be excited by that? But in Buffy's point of view, it took me the second watch to really understand that she's dealing with her trauma from dying three years ago. And it's all wrapped up in her love for Angel and how that also traumatized her. And I don't think she was ever seriously thinking about Riley as a boyfriend because to her, she was a regular guy. And she was flirting with him and going on dates with him. And it was like, oh, so nice. Oh, what a nice guy, a reliable guy. Yeah, 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 yeah. But I don't think she ever seriously took it in her mind any further than those couple dates. And then all of a sudden, he knows her secret. She knows his secret. He's very much aligned with what she's been doing. He's going to be thrown into her life. They're going to fall in love. He's going to leave her. She's going to be heartbroken again. And like on top of that, another apocalypse is coming and she might die again. And it's up to her to save everybody, including I, Riley. Yeah, I, I agree. The apocalypse thing is really throwing a wrench in this whole thing with Riley. <laughs> so I think she's dealing with a lot on her plate. And the Riley thing is just overwhelming to her. The best way that she can deal with this is by blowing him off. <laughs> and um, later they have another argument about this. And I think it just really comes down to the fact that Riley doesn't know her that well. And he doesn't really understand or grasp the seriousness of what the Slayer is. Because how could he just heard about it, right? So Giles has found the demon in his book. It's called a Vahral demon or something. Uh, and they start reading the poetry description from the book. It's like it's all written in like limericks. <laughs> so they're reading it out and then it cuts to Riley and it's like a back and forth um, from the Scoobies to Riley and the army guys and their version of like breaking it down at the initiative. And this was so fascinating to me that they showed the two ways that the Scoobies do their research and the way that the initiative do their research. Because to me, it's like they're pitting the two sides against each other, right? We got the initiative, which is like, you know, the patriarchal, masculine, scientific, bureaucratic system or company or whatever you want to call it, uh, versus the Scoobies, the more feminine-driven, folkloric, mystical ragtag. slayer powers, a ragtag, underdog <laughs> Yeah, um, I agree. It, it, the way they cut the scene together is quite nice. I think it's nice. So um, Riley's saying that, you know, they're going to go after this three meter tall demon, 100, between 100 and 120 kilograms, special hazards unknown, like all the stuff. We're going to, it's basic need is to kill, crush, and destroy. <laughs> and then we flip to the, the others and being like, Buffy's like, it seemed like it was after something specific, right? So there's that <laughs> immediate contrast of like the assumptions that the initiative and Riley make versus the assumptions that Buffy and the Scoobies make 
based on their experiences. Yeah, and it's so funny how right the Scoobies are because they know they're dealing with an apocalypse, whereas Riley and the gang just think they're tracking well, a demon for no well, reason. Well, and they also know that demons can be intelligent, right? As we saw with Forrest's attitude earlier, most of the initiative treats demons as literally subhuman, as not creatures that think, but rather as animals who mostly act on instinct. And that, that makes them underestimate the hostile subterrestrials. God, they have so much to learn, those initiative men. So Willow is recalling that she read about ch- bones of children before, and then she finds it in a book. It's an ancient ancient ritual that uh, uses the blood of a man, bones of a child, and something called the word of Valios. And it's all part of the sacrifice of three. And they, they figure it out pretty quickly. Xander's like, oh, three people got to die <laughs> in the sacrifice. And Bobby's like, they need to stop the demon getting all the ingredients um, and get to the to the word of Valios before he gets to it. And Willow's like well he did, like what if he has it already like who knows where he's been and then it comes to riley who's saying the demon has a pheromone signature a mile wide agent gates has been working with the detection system in the lab developing or whatever like whatever they're gonna track its smell <laughs> and um they're all gonna go in their civilian clothes to find it it's a kill not capture and buffy says that she's heading to the magic shop to see if they have this they think the word of values is a book and they're going to go find it. And Xander and Willow are going to go to the... Apparently, there's a book archive in Sunnydale. Because, of course, there is. But Willow and Xander are going to stop at Xander's house first so he can change and get weapons. And I was like, why are you guys even bothering doing all this research? Because isn't Giles the world leader on obscure relics? Or they could just ask Angel. He he seemed to know a lot about the Glove of Minigan and how to destroy it. See, and he probably knows exactly. He's like, oh, it's at Giles's <laughs> Spoilers. I'm sorry, but like, give Angel a call. He'll help you. Um, (laughs) So Buffy says, be careful. I can't stand if anyone gets hurt. And then we cut to a stake propped up on a table because Spike wants to dive onto it and stake himself. And I was like, Spike, there are so many better ways that a vampire could stake themselves or or dust themselves uh remember angel tried to just wait till sunrise right yeah a nice poetic ending well so i do want to have a little conversation in this scene about the contrast between showing spike trying to die by suicide versus angel trying to die by suicide in amends and how i i do think the show does a disservice to people who are struggling with suicide ideation by making so light of it in this scene, right? Like they they treated it very seriously when it was Angel and Amends. And we have talked about how like the resolution to that wasn't the greatest, but they did make an attempt to treat it with gravity. In this episode, because Spike is the butt of the joke and nobody is taking Spike's mental health issues seriously, um, the the actual suicide attempt is itself supposed to be hilarious. And, and I understand the comedic value of it, but, you know, I just, I, when we talk about a character, whether a vampire or a human, dying by suicide, especially depicting that on a show, I think that's, you know, it's not something I'm a fan of. So I just, I wish that the show had spent more time dealing with Spike's trauma so that if they were going to have Spike attempt suicide, then it would have followed from the consequences of that exploration of his trauma. And I wish they hadn't shown the attempt like this, 
because I just I think it really cheapens the whole discussion of the seriousness of suicide. Yeah, I agree with you. Um, I would also bring up the fact that possibly Spike doesn't really want to kill himself. Like a part of me thinks that he is just doing this because like there's no way this would have worked. Just the angle and the way that he jumped down and he crushed that table and it broke, right? I just don't think his heart was really in it. I think he's just feeling See, sad and pathetic. But, and just, but this is what know. I'm saying, and, and I feel very unequipped to have this conversation because I'm not, I don't have the expertise in mental health that I'd like to have mm-hmm. to talk about this. But, you know, my understanding is that uh, some people, I don't want to say many or all, but some people who make suicide attempts, you know, that is the ultimate cry for help, right? So mm-hmm, that's what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah, whether or not Spike thought he was going to be successful, it's just it's a shame that the show chose this character who is so alienated from everybody else and who is evil so we're not supposed to sympathize with him even though a lot of us and a lot of the people in the show do and it's just like it's I don't like it it's messy and it doesn't work for me yeah, well, let, let's see how the Scoobies handle it because Xander and Willow walk right in when this is happening. And, um, you know, Xander's like, oh, you were trying to stake yourself. And Spike tells him to fag off. And is that like a common phrase to say that? He's like, I, I've never heard of that before. But he says, this is no concern of yours, basically. Xander says, it is too. For one thing, that's my shirt you're about to dust. For another, we've shared a lot here. You should have trusted me enough to do it for you. And Willow's like, Xander. And Xander's like, what? He wants to die. I want to help. And Willow says, it's Uki, right? We know him. We can't just let him poof himself. So there you go. So Willow has the sympathy for him. And Spike says, you can. Like, you can let me do it because you know I'd just drain you drier than a Sahara if I had half a chance. And besides, I'm beyond pathetic. Stuck in this basement washing skivvies for a blighter I wouldn't even bother to bite a few months ago. Am I even remotely scary anymore? And he advances on Willow. He's like, <laughs> and like walks up to her. And um, she's like, well, the shirt isn't threatening. You know, the short pants. And like, I know you can't bite. And he's like, all right, like, you know what? Just clear out of here. And Xander is grabbing the weapons and he's like, yeah, fine. But if you break anything else while we're gone, uh, you'll be sleeping in the garage, mister. And Willow says that we can't leave him here like this. We'll have to take him with us to the museum. And Spike's like, no, you can go. Like, I won't do anything. I feel better. Promise. <laughs> and they steer him out. Like they, So they take him with them because they know they can't leave him here because he might attempt again. And Xander says, think of the happy. If we don't find what we're looking for, we're facing an apocalypse. And Spike's like, really? You're not just saying that? So, how do you feel about Willow handling this situation? Well, I just, I think it's complicated because on the one hand, I have advocated for the Scoobies killing Spike in previous episodes, (laughs) right? You know, we talked about this. I think the Scoobies should just kill Spike and, and get it over with. So, for the show to humanize his character by having him attempting suicide... It creates this weird situation where, on the one hand, he is still technically evil, he's technically the enemy, and he is technically fair game for Buffy to kill. On the other hand, he is being treated as as a human or human-like creature for whom, you know, suicide is something that we would not wish on them. So that creates this weird cognitive dissonance at least for me as a viewer, where it's like, how am I supposed to feel, right? And, you know, Willow saying it's Uki, I, I 
maybe she's feeling the same cognitive dissonance. And I just, I don't know. I wish the the writers had come up with a different way to try humanizing Spike in this moment because it just feels like they didn't do a good job handling the gravity of this type of issue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. definitely played off as a joke, right? So Buffy's walking the streets and she walks right into Riley as she always does on the streets these days. And he's tracking the pheromones. She never walks into anybody else that we see. <laughs> never. Right? Never. Um, and at this point, I, like when in my watch, I was like, oh, I'm so sick of Ruffy. <laughs> I'm sick of these Ruffy talks. We could talks. just skip this scene. Yeah, we're just going to move on past because it's so boring. It's so boring. Buffy says, like, you know, this is the time for Donkey Kong, like, ha ha ha. And he says they're tracking the creature. And Buffy says, well, I need to go swish the bad. And then Riley says, you know, this thing, this this you and me thing, it's stupid. And I'm like, yeah, it is stupid. And Buffy says, yeah, which is why we can't do it. And Riley says, no, I mean, you're stupid. I mean, I don't mean that. No, I think maybe I do. <laughs> God. And Buffy's like, okay, like, wow, like, you know, you're not really, you know, helping me with my reservations right now. And Riley says, I'm serious. You have this twisted way of thinking of things, this doom and gloom mentality. You keep thinking like that and things are probably going to turn out just the way you expect. And Buffy like scoffs at him for being a psych grad student. And Riley says, Buffy, where's the bad here? It just turns out that we're even more well matched than we thought we were. You're a fry cook and so am I. <laughs> what is this meta? Why, why fry cook? And Buffy says, you're an amateur fry cook. I come from a long line of fry cooks that don't live past 25. So again, like Buffy is just really thinking about the last time there was an earthquake. She fucking died. Like she, that's what she's thinking about right now. And Riley says, that's exactly the attitude I'm talking about. I know the risks of what we do. I also know it's more rewarding than any other job on the planet. Is and it? it's fun, he says. Is it though? <laughs> is I don't, it? I don't think Buffy feels that way. Riley sounded more like Faith. Riley, do you get hungry and horny at the end of your your hunts? Yeah, he does. He's like, this is so fun. I love getting hungry and horny after I capture a demon with my friends. I regret bringing this up. Riley, please stop mansplaining Buffy's destiny to her. <laughs> stop making it seem like you got it all figured out and Buffy just needs to shift her attitude. Okay, that's not how it works. Buffy literally just told you that... People like her don't live past 25. Like she's telling you, I take this seriously because I will likely die in the next five years. And he doesn't even know she died four years ago or three she, years yeah, ago. Yeah, she has a lot to fill him in on. Right? So I don't like that he's just like, this is so fun, though. Like, come on. Buffy says the last person who thought like this is in a coma uh, because, you know, she was having too much fun on the job and being all hungry and horny afterwards. And Riley says, I'm not saying you shouldn't take your work seriously. And Buffy says, well, I should just turn my frown upside down. Like, is that it? I wish I could. This isn't the kind of gig that you can just hang up at the end of the night and snuggle with your honey. Oh, your honey. Are we going to be hearing this for the next three seasons, too? Um, Riley asks, why can't it be? And Buffy says, because I tried it and every time it fell apart. Then I get sucked right back into the uber evil. And Riley says, welcome to the story of the world. Like, he's so condescending. He's like, things fall apart and evil, it comes and goes. The way people manage is they don't do it alone. They pull each other through. If you weren't so self-involved, you'd see that. And I was like, oh, fuck you. <laughs> 
Buffy's not self-involved. She's actually saved the world numerous times and is trying to save it tonight. And you are part of the world, Riley. So she's actually saved your life more than you know. So, oh, I just don't like this conversation. I don't like the way it's going. And Buffy says, you have no idea what I'm talking about. You barely know me. And Riley says, I know it's not just a job thing. I'm sure there's some good looking guy who done you wrong <laughs> in there too. Mm. Done you wrong. Done you wrong. Weird way to say that. Uh, Riley says, I think you want to stay in the dark place. Maybe it's safer down there. We have an opportunity here, you and me. The fact that you're too Fuck scared off, to Riley. even try. <sighs> Riley, stop pushing. Just leave it alone. Give yeah, her some space. Maybe Buffy does want to stay in the dark place. That is her choice. You don't have to be this white knight who comes in and saves her. That's exactly what he's trying to be. And even in this part of the scene, he's like using his bulk to get up in her space. She keeps trying to walk uh. away and he keeps getting in her face. He's, he's She's not bumping into his bulk on purpose anymore. He's like, he puts his hands on her, right? And he's telling her this. And I was like, I don't like this. I don't like that. I mean, he's not manhandling her the way he did in the initiative. But he's in her face. And like, get out of her face, Riley. And Buffy says, it's my business. Why don't you leave me alone? And Riley's like, fair enough, and storms away. You know, we give women a lot of flack for trying to fix the bad boy, but is that not what Riley's trying to do here? He's trying to fix the broken girl, right? And, I mean, we can argue whether or not Buffy is actually broken, but, like, she's allowed to stay broken if she is, and that's what the way she wants to be for now, right? Like, Riley... Buffy is telling you what she wants. She's saying she's not ready for a relationship with you. And you made your pitch. You made your pitch several times. You know, you're allowed a second crack at it. But it's like, at some point, you have to shut up and listen to her. You know, I know it took Xander a couple of seasons, but he finally <laughs> figured it out. Like, don't be like Xander, Riley. No, never be like Xander. That's the motto of our show. That's what we're going to take away from this entire podcast. <laughs> but no, it's so true. Riley, listen. Listen to what she's telling you and even read between the lines. She's not ready. Back off. So we cut to Willow, Xander, and Spike who are leaving the Museum of Books or Archives or whatever that was. And they didn't find anything on the word of Valios. Um, and Spike says, well, I guess I'm one step closer to melting in a sea of hellfire. And Willow says, you shouldn't talk like that. So you can't kill anymore. There's a lot of other fun things that you can do. You'll adjust. And Spike says, and then what? End up like the two of you? No, thank you. And Xander mocks Willow for a second being like, you know, yeah, you know, we can't let him stake himself, right? And Spike says, I should think that you would be glad to greet the end of days. Neither one of you is making much of a go at it. And they're like, what, do you, what does that mean? And he points at Xander and he says, kids your age are going off to university. You've made it as far as the basement. So we've already talked a bit about Willow's insecurity and, and Buffy's and even Spike's. But Xander's is the same thing that we've been dealing with all season, right? That he did not go to university, that he was workforce bound, and he's been struggling with keeping a job. Um... But also his insecurity over the past four seasons has been that he's not useful to the Scoobies, which is true. He is not. <laughs> but um, Spike's pointing it out here. I mean, this is the thing is, you know, Spike, like Spike has, has lost his ability to harm physically, right? But he can still harm with his words. His words. Yeah, sticks and stones. He can't break bones anymore. But names sure will hurt people. Yes. And calling Xander useless hurts him. <laughs> And then he says, Red here, you couldn't even keep Dog Boy happy. 
Um, he says, you could take that, you could take the loser out of high school, but, and then Willow says, I see what you're doing. You're trying to get us to dust you. And Spike says, I'm not. I don't want pity from geeks more useless than I am. <laughs> and Willow says, we're not useless. We help people. We fight the forces of evil. And Spike says, Buffy fights the forces of evil. You're her groupies. She'd do just as well without you. Better, I'd wager, since she wouldn't have to go around saving your hides all the time. And Xander says, that's not true. We're part of the team. She needs us. And Spike says, you're the same 10th grade losers you've always been, and she's just too much of a softie to cut you loose. And as he walks away from them, he smiles because that made him feel good because, you're like we we're saying, he can still harm with his words. And... Something that I found interesting in what Spike said, um, it's not true. Buffy needs her friends. We know that as the audience. We know. But Spike has this tendency of isolating Buffy. I feel like he's always trying to get her alone in one way or another. And turning her friends on her, this, this might be the first time we're actually seeing it. But like, this is something that's going to stick around. And we need to keep our eye on it. Because getting Buffy to feel like she's alone and isolated is like a kick of his. Yeah. Yeah, I love the little smile at the end of the scene, right? Because as we were just talking about, it shows that Spike is now figuring out how he can continue to cause discord and cause pain, even if he can't hurt people physically. And it's interesting. It's an interesting evolution to his character. So we cut to Giles, who's reading about the word of Valios in a book. And then he says, oh, as usual, dear. Another clunky line. Um, he opens a box in a dresser of his and he pulls out this like talisman. And it's the exact image of the of the word of Valios, which is of in his textbook. Of course it's in Giles's house. Right? <laughs> Angel knew that. <laughs> he just happens to have the word of Valios. Like... Right. So funny. And even funnier, three green demons pop out of nowhere. His kitchen his like his like you'd think he would install a security system or something giles has a portal in the corner of his house that is linked to other demon dimensions and they teleport in there all the time you would think his neighbors would complain right because he's now had uh people shooting arrows into his house from different directions yeah uh, on thanksgiving right and now he has, like, large, green, bulky people showing up and trashing his place. Like, you would think his neighbors would be calling to complain and be like, keep the racket down. All the Karens in the neighborhood. Uh, and it's also like, I mean, the gentlemen were also creeping around his neighborhood, like, yes, the day before, right? So it's just like, just, just move, Giles, move. And also not to mention that his girlfriend died upstairs. So like, bleh. I don't know how he and Olivia could have slept in that bed together after what happened with Angel and Jenny calendar and well they didn't sleep if you know what i mean i know i just i don't yeah i would have moved but at the very least like did he get a new bed like he's like this is a sick apartment okay i'm not giving it up like, real estate is <laughs> real estate is awful that's fair yeah so um uh, giles gets beat up <laughs> um buffy shows up and willow's getting giles ice while xander's sitting with him spike's sitting across the room um, Giles is like, yep, I had it. My bad. <laughs> and, um, they have to, they have to go and save the sacrifices now. Um, Giles says they're trying to open the hell mouth. He figured it out. They're opening the, up the hell mouth, the one in the library. And Buffy says, we're going back to high school, guys. So we cut to Sunnydale High, all blown up and black and charred. And uh, Buffy, Willow, Xander, and Spike are entering as Buffy's saying, be careful because the building doesn't look stable. 
And Spike's like, fine by me. I hope we all go under. And Buffy's like, why is he even here? Like, it's not like he can fight. And Willow says, well, if we leave him alone, he'll stake himself. And Buffy's like, and that's bad because. <laughs> and I think this, like, I mean, obviously we've, we're discussing it, you know, in heavier context in this episode. But it's true in the larger storytelling here where we're saying, like, you guys should have just staked him a long time ago or, like, cut him loose a long time ago, right? Xander steps on a snake carcass. And, Kara, I was looking, I was scanning the hallways that they're walking down, and I found it. There's a trophy lying in the middle of the hallway, and it could very well be Amy's mom. <gasps> right? So... They enter the library area. There are three demons chanting around this hole in the ground. And they, they don't see any sacrifices. But Buffy just runs in. She runs in and starts wailing on them. And again, like the sounds in this scene are, are totally dubbed. Like everything that they're saying. Because Xander grabs the bottle of blood. And he tells Willow to grab the talisman. But she grabs the bones in a bag <laughs> from one of the demons. And um, Willow throws the bones in a bag to Spike. Um, who starts getting attacked by a demon. And the one demon that was attacking Xander grabs the blood from him and jumps in the hole. And there's a quake. And then Xander realizes that the demons are the sacrifice. Good job, Xander. Spike gets sick of being punched in the face, so he punches the demon back and expects to feel pain. But he doesn't. <gasps> so he realizes that he can... He can hurt demons. So he vamps out and he starts kicking the ass of this demon. He like picks up the demon with his like, like above his head. And he's like, I'm a bloody animal. Yeah. And he, and they're like, Spike, don't throw him in the hole. But of course the demon um, that is holding the bones in a bag uh, gets thrown into the hole by Spike who thought he was helping. <laughs> and uh, Buffy's still fighting the one. But because the second demon fell in there, the, the building's shaking um, and she tells him to leave before the building comes down. And a piece of plywood falls down and, like, hits Spike in the head. And I don't know why. Like, Xander saves Spike. He, like, pulls him out. But I don't know why Spike had to get knocked out at all. <laughs> so that Xander could save him. Oh, so weird. Literally, this is the episode that launders Spike's reputation and relationship with the Scoobies, humanizing him and turning him into a character that we could see as a potential ally. And that's kind of what I've been pointing out throughout this episode, right? And people can have various opinions about that, right? I'm not saying it has to be a bad thing, but I think as we've pointed out about the dialogue and other things in this episode, and this may be where people are saying, oh, this isn't a great episode, it's clunky. It's just kind of like, okay, we've decided Spike's going to be, you know, chaotic good for now or whatever. And it's just like, really? Yeah, it just doesn't flow there's no flow here right it's just it's, it's mm. so suddenly riley shows up dun, <laughs> dun, dun, dun. riley to the rescue <laughs> and he starts fighting the demon and what kind of annoyed me about this was because buffy was um about to be like she she staked she like stabbed one of the demons and then the demon looked like it was about to like kill her or do something and that's when riley showed up so it mildly annoyed me that riley showed up to save buffy right in the nick of time uh but that's what riley wanted right <laughs> he wants to be there to save her so um even with against the two of them, the demon still manages to grab the talisman and jump in the hole. And Buffy's like, I'm going in. And Riley's like, you're coming out. And he could like, what? He like, I don't know, attaches like a line to her, like a rope. What is it? What is it? Yeah, it's like a retractable climbing line. <laughs> I, this would be an amazing exchange if 
they hadn't annoyed us with Riley throughout the entire episode, right? If, if they, if I weren't so done with Riley at this point, I would really <laughs> have enjoyed this sequence because it shows them working together. And it, it is like really cool how he backs her up, no hesitation, just like goes with her flow, helps her save the day. It's great. I would like to acknowledge that. Still don't like it because at this point I'm just kind of like, oh, Riley. Also, like, did he follow her there? Like, was he following her? Everywhere. Well, in this remember, episode? he was tracking the demon's pheromones. <laughs> oh, of course. <laughs> but I'm also just kind of like, does the initiative not know about the Hellmouth? Like, come on. And also, this whole thing with Buffy jumping through the hole after the demon, catching it, and Riley pulling her back up using his hands, um, it, it just offends logic. It just doesn't make any sense. <laughs> but we're going to allow it because. Buffy is the slayer, and she definitely would have managed to fall, free fall, and catch up to that demon. <laughs> so anyway, Riley pulls her out, demon passes out. I guess they just leave it there because they don't leave with the demon. <laughs> Surely they 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 killed it or um Or the I don't commando know. guys showed up afterwards, the backup, right? And took it, yeah, yeah, yeah. So so they leave. Um, and Riley sees Willow, Xander, and Spike at the door, right? And he's like, oh, hey, Willow. Oh, Xander, right? Jeez, what are you? What are the chances, huh? I was, just, I was just passing by, and I thought I heard people inside. <laughs> so awkward. Just fess up, Riley. You've been caught. What, Riley, no need to lie so terribly. And Willow says, oh, you're just passing by in your G.I. Joe outfit? <laughs> And Buffy's like, yeah, like you're really, you know, you're you're not too conspicuous here. Um, and Riley's like, paintball. I was playing paintball. And Xander's like, you're one of those commando guys. And he's like, no. And then he says to Spike, don't I know you? And Spike's like, no, sir, no, sir. I'm I'm just an old pal of Xander's here, you know. And he's like saying it in like in a funny American accent. And Riley says, that's nice. It's <laughs> like, Riley, weren't you tracking this guy for weeks? Like, you, you, you don't recognize him? You himbo? To be fair, the Hawaiian shirt is a really good disguise. <laughs> it's better than Buffy's spy disguise. <laughs> With her bright leopard outfit and her bright pink sunglasses. Those were the days. <laughs> Riley says, as they all start to leave, Xander says to Willow, it feels weird to be back. And Willow's like, yeah, seems smaller and more charred and ruiny to the to the high school. So, yeah, like, I guess that's the metaphor. You know, you 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 can't go back. You can only go forward. <laughs> um, high school's over. You don't have to be those people anymore. You're growing. That's that's what I'm learning here. <laughs> The next day in Riley's dorm, he's playing basketball Basketball, and Buffy comes in and she's like, oh, you never called me. And he's saying that he's a dead man, right? His secret, the, she found out. He was like, that's fine because she's special. But last night with her friends, it was a disaster and he like could not have been more less convincing. And he was trained to be sneaky, which I don't believe for one second that he was trained. <laughs> and um, he's sitting on his bed and he's like, everybody knows about me. I'm finished. It's the end of the world. And Buffy stands in front of him and says, no, it's not. And she kisses him. And I will add that, like, Riley's sitting on her on his bed and she's, like, in front of him and they kiss. And, like, she's, like, the same height as him sitting down. Ew, ew they're kissing. It's I know. No more. No. Um, uh, like, are we supposed to care about this? Are we supposed to I think we're shit? supposed to think that Riley's earned it, right? Like, he helped her. Oh, okay. <laughs> um fine whatever okay buffy's changed her mind i suppose i 
would like Riley to heed this warning, though. Let let me be, let you and I be the old spinsters that just, like, give a little bit of advice. Because Buffy's been giving signals this whole episode and also straight up saying that she's not ready for this. We know, as faithful Buffy fans and people who've been watching her for four years, that she is afraid to let herself be emotionally vulnerable again. Like, she doesn't want to get hurt, and she's holding him at arm's length to avoid getting to that same level of hurt that she experienced with Angel, right? So, Riley, this should be a red flag to you that she was so against getting with you. I think you and I are correct in saying that he is trying to break down those barriers in her. He wants to be her white shining knight. Like, I can show you what a nice relationship is like. I can be the guy for you. We're so compatible, right? But I think Buffy is compromising with herself here. I think she's like, yeah, like... It is really nice to share my life with people and I don't want to be alone. So I'm willing to give this a shot and try this out with Riley. But I think the writing is just really on the wall here. She is too weary of getting hurt again to ever let this guy in as deeply as she did before. And it's it's a shame that, you know, I mean, maybe it's not a shame. It's a good thing probably that she doesn't remember what happened in I Will Remember You because that's when she's never been more vulnerable and would have been destroyed. Can you you imagine how different the last two episodes would have been if she came back and did remember what happened? Oh, she would be like the rest of us, comatose, like just just (laughs) unreasonable. Um, Yeah, so I'm just, I just think, Riley, you're getting what you want here. You're getting kisses, and that's good for you. But she was pretty clear in this episode that she is afraid to do this, that she is unwilling to go all the way in. So then that's not the end. Thankfully, we're not ending a second episode in a row on Riley and Buffy talking. And their humming skin. (laughs) (laughs) Instead, we go to Xander's basement. Uh, Willow and Xander are hanging out. They're watching TV. Spike comes in from the other room, which I don't I don't know why he comes in from the other room when the washing machine is in that room. So I don't know <laughs> if he was in the bathroom changing or whatever. But anyway, he comes in. He's in his trademark, like, black T-shirt and whatever again. So I guess he went shopping after they stopped the apocalypse. <laughs> and there's kind of a reversal going on here where willow and xander are just completely checked out you know they're just watching tv they just want to relax and spike's like come on gang you know there's worlds to save there's demons to fight he's like so gung-ho about the fact that he's discovered he 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 has a purpose again right he can beat up evil (laughs) um he Xander doesn't say anything. He just points at the TV, and Spike's like, "What? Can't go without your Buffy? Is that it? Two chicken?" So he he's trying to like nag them again, like he did earlier. Um, and he's like, "Come on, vampires! Ugh, nasty! Let's annihilate them for justice and the safety of puppies and Christmas, right? <laughs> Let's fight that evil. Let's kill something. Oh, come on!" <laughs> and this is genuinely funny. Like again, yeah. I, I've ragged on what the writers have been doing with Spike in this episode, because I don't think it works very well. I don't think they're doing a very good job. But I will also give credit where credit is due, mostly, I think, to James Marsters for his just incredible performance. This is hilarious. And and I love seeing Spike in this comedic role. I think it is a really good choice, even though I may not agree entirely with how the writers get us there. 
Yeah, it, it, he does. He's such a good comedic actor. He really is. He he's taking the writing, which has not been that good in this episode, and he's just elevating it. And that's all we asked for, right? So what I want to say now that we're at the end of this episode is that this is an apocalypse episode and quite possibly the most boring apocalypse episode in right, TV history. Some apocalypses are boring stuff. You can't expect every <laughs> apocalypse to be just as entertaining as the master running loose or the mayor eating students, right? Like, I, I think your expectations about apocalypses have just been distorted by the past couple of years. Well, I think that my expectations are that if they're going to make Buffy and Riley's relationship about an apocalypse, because that's what it is, right? That is what they were, that's the metaphor here, right? That is the end of the world. Buffy's going to enter another relationship. She fixes it and decides, you know, it's not the end of the world. I get it. Uh, if this is the metaphor and, and it's a boring one, <laughs> then what are we going to think of the roughy relationship as we go forward? <laughs> we'll have to find out. Well, Who's your hero? Um, I just said the Scoobies, right? Like, like whatever. Sure. Like all the Scoobies. They, That's they, very they generous it. of you. I don't think Giles did a very good job in this episode. He barely helped out. Like, we, like where was he? He didn't go to the school with them. Normally he, he shows up for this stuff. His voice wasn't even back yet from Hush. He had to get it dubbed over. <laughs> so, you know, I understand what you're saying, but I'm, I'm just going to straight up give it to Buffy, right? Buffy was on the ball from the beginning. She's like, this is the end of the world. She was right. She goes looking for the demon in the cemetery. She, you know, takes everybody to the school. I don't want to say Spike is right here, but Buffy was really pulling her weight in this episode. And yes, Willow and Xander contributed. They did a good job too. I won't downplay that. But in terms of a hero, Buffy's my gal. Also, she had to deal with Riley. None of them had to deal with Riley, so. Uh, Riley. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's that episode. <laughs> On to the next one. <laughs> uh let's read let's get to our hot stakes um our first hot stake today is from danielle who wants to talk about spike and something blue uh and she says as i rewatched i saw that blatant spike misogyny that Kara mentioned in the in the harsh light of day during buffy and spike's engagement um his jealousy and insecurity over buffy's past boyfriends angel in particular his dismissive nature to all her ideas his derision over her name the whole girl power thing to name a few so i know it's supposed to be extraordinary misconstrued because of the comedic nature of the episode and i understand that at this point, Spike and Buffy are true adversaries. But yikes, that is something so deep in himself that even a spell can't break. Yeah, so true, Danielle. Thanks for thanks for saying that. Actually, I wanted to say that like um, in Something Blue, Spike does say a lot of things in that episode that are misogynistic. And uh, Kara, you might remember, you and I did talk about them, but I actually cut them out during my editing because the episode was getting long and I was like, we've talked about this before. So I cut it out. So and I didn't even notice. <laughs> yeah, I, I know. I knew you wouldn't, but I, I think I, I'm glad that Danielle has pointed out these things because we're not going to hit every mark in every episode or sometimes we cut it out for timing, but it's always awesome. It's nice to know that our discussions are helping people, you know, look at the problematic aspects of the show. And even though we can continue to enjoy them and enjoy these characters and everything, you know, we're just kind of trying to give it this honest reevaluation and be like, hmm, what about this show really isn't healthy? And maybe we should look at that. Yeah. So thanks. Thanks, Danielle. Our other hot steak is from Tasha. Uh, it's long, so I'm going to try to like summarize and paraphrase here. So forgive me if I leave anything important out. 
Um, but Tasha's writing in about I Will Remember You and says that she has thought some thoughts from a mental health perspective as somebody who has been diagnosed with borderline personality disorder. Tasha basically says, I'm more often than not self-aware of my own bullshit tendencies to self-sabotage and compares her experiences with angels in this episode saying, I could see myself an angel. This was not a good thing in my opinion. Um, and I appreciate Tasha apologizing to you, Steph, um, <laughs> saying, you know, I find angel represents a lot of my own self-torturous indulgence and micromanaging of others' feelings when mm -hmm. it comes to interpersonal relationships so tasha goes on to talk about angel needing to to feel a purpose and then he wallows and indulges in self-flagellation i love that word um and you know he overrides other people's feelings or autonomy to do what he believes is right based solely off his own self-worth tasha says well i can only speak from my own experience and not everyone with bpd or other similar personality disorders I too have made decisions on others' behalf uh, that were manifesting in my low self, my low perception of self. Like Angel, I denied loved ones in my life the decision to work alongside me to overcome obstacles and demons because I convinced myself I was protecting them from the unhappiness that being close to me would bring. In hindsight, it was unfair to me to deny others the opportunity to stand by me, much like it was unfair for Angel to deny Buffy the choice to stand by him. Sometimes we tell ourselves that we're doing others a service by being strong alone, but really we're selfishly avoiding that possibility of being abandoned. Mm -hmm. um, so Tasha's basically saying Angel's punishing himself. He believes he's bad. He believes he's not worth, you know, uh, Buffy's love. And and I see that point of view. I, I If I recall correctly, I did kind of defend Angel for making that choice unilaterally because I do believe that at the end of the day, it is his life to live and he is allowed to make, you know, if you think of this as a mistake, he's allowed to make those mistakes. But I do appreciate your perspective, Tasha. And I also agree with you um, that he sees himself that way. I think he sees himself as somebody who's not worthy of love because of the, gr the guilt that he carries around thanks to the curse of that soul and everything he did while he was Angelus. So, you know, whether or not this is coming from an actual personality disorder or it's just a result of the incredible amount of trauma he's experienced you know wherever it's coming from i agree with you and it probably did influence his actions and the decisions that he made yeah and i i like this hot stick a lot because it helps me reevaluate angel as well angel's not perfect right he's a very flawed character as all the characters on the show are but you can fix him right steph yeah it's nice to know i can fix him by just giving him a little bit of love <laughs> No, no, no. But it's like we we see his actions as as heroic and that he did that as a selfless thing. But in some ways, him wanting to punish himself is is a selfish choice. Right. And I think that's something that's really interesting about his character that maybe one day we'll get to explore. And yes, I can change him. <laughs> Any man like this can be changed, ladies. Don't forget. <laughs> On that note. Thanks, everybody who writes in with your hot stakes. Please keep doing that. Please keep emailing us, commenting on our social media. Uh, thank you to a new Buy Me a Coffee supporter. Uh, Jordan says that their favorite episode is The Body because, you know, that episode is very special to a lot of people. 
and Jordan talks about really being relate, being able to relate to that episode and, you know, the themes of loss and grief, losing a family member. Uh, Jordan basically talks about Buffy as being the show that really uh, helped them work through trauma from their life. And, you know, in, in their email to us, they were talking about how, like, this is dark. I'm sorry to dump all of this on you, but I just wanted to share how much Buffy the Vampire Slayer has had such a positive, although trying, effect on my life. Um, that's okay. It's okay, Jordan. Like, people email us this stuff, and yeah, nobody needs to go into graphic detail about the stuff that they've been through, but we appreciate when people talk about how a TV show like Buffy ha has helped you with your trauma. Mm -hmm. um, Jordan's favorite characters are Cordelia and Faith, so we can get behind that. Mm -hmm. uh, specifically, they cite the growth that Cordelia and Faith experience throughout uh, the Buffy series, as well as the Angel series. Um, and Jordan says, I think their story arcs are some of the most compelling and fascinating. Also, they are such kick-ass women who don't take shit from men, except Joss Whedon, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> and Jordan's favorite villain is one that we haven't met yet, so... We'll, uh, we'll talk about that in a season to come. <laughs> thank you so much, Jordan. That was awesome. I really loved your email. Thanks so much. Yeah. And thank you to all of our Buy Me A Coffee supporters, especially our chosen ones. Lizzie, Emma, Hannah, Taza, Alexandra, Kyle, Kayla, Destiny, Brady, Erica, Justine, Allison, Lena, Jace, and Julian. <laughs> You did it. <laughs> Thanks, everybody. We will see you next week with a special guest star. Ooh. <laughs> Bye. Thanks for listening to Prophecy Girls. If you want and can afford to donate, head over to buymeacoffee.com slash prophecygirls for one-time and monthly options. We appreciate all of your support, even if it's just spreading the word about us or enjoying our show week by week. We also invite you to join in the discussion by messaging us on our social media channels. Follow us at Prophecy Girls Podcast on TikTok, Instagram, and Facebook, and prophecy underscore girls on Twitter. You can also email us at prophecygirlspodcast at gmail.com or visit our website, prophecygirls.ca, where you can find the link to our Discord. Praise Moloch! See you next week!